And he said, um, <clears throat> for the banner on the big uh, arrangement of flowers, there should be a banner that read, good luck in your new location. So the next day, time of the big relocation party, Larry went to celebrate with his friend. Big crowd was there, and Larry saw his flowers over there. And, but when he got closer, he was, uh, he was really surprised and disappointed because the banner, instead of reading, good luck in your new location, the banner read, rest in peace. <laughs> well... <laughs> He was, of course, disappointed with the florist and went the next day to express his anger and disappointment. He said, I went to the grand opening of office space yesterday that I told you what I'd wanted, and instead it read, uh, rest in peace. Florist said, well, look at it this way. It could have been worse. There was a little mix-up, and somewhere, someone yesterday was buried under flowers that read, good luck in your new location. Today we're going to talk about our new location, because one of these days all of us are going to new locate. This is not, this is not all that is. This world is not all that is. But that's not a common theme in, in our news, in our common conversations. We, we tend not to talk about or act like or maybe remember that this world is not all there is. There is a narrative that is common to our culture, and that narrative goes something like this. A long, long time ago, <clears throat> there was an unforeseen, uh, unplanned, unscheduled, unorchestrated bang. And from that bang sprang Aquarius and Sagittarius and Neptune and the moon and planted Earth. And on planet Earth, there sprang the, the seas and the breeze and the trees and the bees and the ewes and the me's, humans. But it was all rather happenstantial. It was all rather by, by chance. And so now humans are born without rhyme or reason and live without rhyme or reason and die without rhyme or reason. And when we die, when we breathe our last breath, that's, that's it. Kaplui, done, that's all. And one day this planet will implode or explode and, and all memories of our very existence, all memories of our very existence will go up in smoke. So according to this narrative, our existence, while rather impressive, is still rather meaningless, for this is all there is. But there is another narrative that comes from the pages of Holy Scripture that says a long time ago, in ways unknown to us, God created Aquarius and Sagittarius and Neptune and the moon and, and on planet Earth, he created the seas and the breeze and the trees and the bees and the ewes and the me's. He created us with purpose, 
Our own Sharon Barrett, one night at Bright Star, said that when he created the flora and the fauna, he spoke them into being, just like he spoke the heavens into being. But Genesis said that when he created humankind, he came close and he didn't just speak us into being. Ruach in Hebrew, he breathed life into us with purpose, not by happenstance. And so we're born with purpose and we live with purpose and we die with purpose, with a purpose that lasts beyond our last breath on earth. That there is beyond this another world, a world that is And I struggle for language here because there's just not adequate human language to say this, but that other world is is divided. There are two spheres or there are two regions or places. There are two things, one beautiful beyond description, wonderful beyond human vocabulary called heaven, and another called hell that is awful beyond our our human vocabulary. But we tend, we tend to at least act like this is all there is. The Bible, though, places great emphasis on the next world. One writer uh, declared it like this, the Bible's center of gravity lies not in this life, but in the life to come. I'm afraid we don't live like we believe that. Wayne Cordero wrote, and I've never seen him do it, but he he describes in his writing how he likes to do this, to draw a, a long horizontal line. If you could imagine a line that stretches beyond that wall and beyond that wall to infinity, he, he likes to draw a, a line, a horizontal line that represents that. And then he will draw a vertical line that intersects with that horizontal line. And in that 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 place where the vertical and the horizontal meet, he calls it a scratch. And he says that scratch represents our time on planet, planet Earth in comparison uh, to the, the line of infinity that represents eternity. But that scratch, he said, is what we live for. We, we live, he calls it scratch lives. We, we have scratch dreams. We have scratch hopes. We have scratch values. We have we live scratch lives, and it's as if, it's as if the way we live, even though we might, we might say we know there's another world, we live as if all we have is this scratch. A moment ago, you heard Kristen read those words God inspired Paul to write to the Philippians that says, there are some who, who live only for this world. Let's pull over and talk about that. He says that their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. What does he mean? New Testament scholars have two different theories about that. One theory is that he's talking about the, the Judaizers, the ruleaholics, the legalists who, who, who believe that this life is all about do's and don'ts. And so he says their God is their belly. They're all about the food laws, the dietary restrictions that, it, that they just obsessed, he said, over what they would put in their bellies. 
Also, their glory is in their shame. Some think he's talking about circumcision because those Judaizers, the legalists, said you have to be circumcised in order to become a Christian, and Paul was always fighting that. So one theory is that he's talking about the legalists. Another theory is that he's talking about quite the opposite, that he's talking about the hedonists, the the licentiousness, the libertines, those who say that anything goes, who believe that God's grace gives us license just to do whatever we want to do. Eat, drink, and be merry would be the, would be the theme of the second group. So we're not sure exactly who he's talking about when he says their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. But it doesn't matter. Either way, the point is that when we forget that there is another world our priorities and our values get all mixed up. That when we forget that there is another world, our priorities and our values get all mixed up. So God inspired Paul in Philippians to remind us that there is more to this life, more to life than the life that we know to live with the end in mind, to live with a foot in both worlds, if you will. A similar text is Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Or as the Phillips translation has it, give your heart to the heavenly things, not to the passing things of earth. Forgive me for taking a moment to drink. I... I thought maybe this morning, if I was hoarse, I'd, I'd have a deep voice and sound like God. In, instead, I sound a little like Kermit the Frog. I, I. But Colossians says, keep your, uh, keep your mind on, on earthly things. <clears throat> but let me, let me issue a quick warning. That is not to say that we are to be, to quote Dwight L. Moody, so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. We're not supposed to hate our world. We're not supposed to fear our world. We're not supposed to ignore our world. We're not supposed to isolate ourselves from our world. This is our Father's world, and He has a mission to it, and we have a place in that mission. But there is another world. The older I get, um, the more time I, I, I seem to be spending in doctor's offices, especially orthopedists. I've had plantar fasciitis, and I've had bursitis, and I've got arthritis, and this week I've had laryngitis. Even my vocal cords are wearing out, it seems. But I was sitting in, um, in an orthopedist's office once, and I picked up a magazine for baby boomers, and um, a guy named David, David Robbins had written a, an article. He'd had a scare with skin cancer, and he was afraid for his life for a little while. It turned out okay, but, but listen to just two sentences from his article. That scare encourages me every day not to eat the apples off the ground, but to shake the tree for the good ones. Thinking about dying makes us think about living. What a beautiful image. Don't just pick up the apples off the ground. Shake the trees. You get one pass through this apple orchard called life. 
And there are going to be some easy things. There are going to be some things that just come your way, that just fall off the tree. But they may not be the best. The best apples are in the tree. you gotta, you got to work hard. Now, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not saying, you know, go for the gusto. But, but don't settle. Thinking about dying helps us remember to live. Some of you know that great country music song by Tim McGraw, Live Like You Were Dying, when a guy in his early 40s had a medical scare. And he, after having that medical scare, realizing the, how fragile and fleeting life is, he said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. It wouldn't hurt us to live like we were dying. That's not a morbid thought. It's expressed beautifully in Psalm 90, where the Bible says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. People who know that we're dying, who know there's another world, that our last breath here is not the end, live, to quote Charles Poole, with a healthy sense of insecurity and a healthy sense of urgency. We ought to live rather insecurely and urgently because you get one trip through the apple orchard. I don't, think, I don't think we can live life in its abundance as Jesus intended until we understand the deep truth expressed in James 4, that life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then it's gone. I think it was last Sunday morning I came over the mountain through the fog. It seemed permanent. It's like... When you drive through that thick stuff, it's like it's going to be there forever. And then I drove home. It was gone. Life is like a vapor that appears for a little while. And then it's gone. There's an important principle in this text that Kristen read for us a moment ago. He says, but we are citizens of heaven. Christ followers are citizens of heaven. The people of Philippi would have understood that. Philippi was a colony, a Roman colony, 600 miles from Rome. It was a Roman colony that sat in Macedonia, present-day northern Greece. They were Roman citizens. Their dreams were Roman dreams. The stories they told their children were Roman stories. Their values were Roman values. They knew that though they lived somewhere else, their citizenship was in Rome. And so, and so the, the people of Philippi would have understood in a way that it's hard for us to grasp what it's like to live in one place to be the, but to be the citizen of another. If you've lived overseas, and I know several of you have, you know a little bit of what that means. 1 Peter 2, 11 reads, we are foreigners, strangers aliens on earth. This world is not my home. Anybody grow up singing that? I'm just a passing through. <laughs> my treasures are laid up. I ain't going to sing the rest of it, Billy. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels 
invite me, beckon me. Hey, it's, come on, man. Come on, lady. Come on, guy. Come on, gal. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Hey, remembering that there's another world teaches us three really important things. Number one, there's a reason why we don't quite feel at home here, why we don't quite fit. Number two, it reminds us that in another world, we will give an account as to how we lived in this world. Number three, it reminds us that ultimate joy is not possible in this world because we were created for another world. Remembering there's another world reminds us that there's a reason why we don't quite fit in. It reminds us, too, that we will give an account in the other world for how we've lived in this world. It reminds us that ultimate joy is in another world. You may know the serenity prayer that says, God, help me to be reasonably happy in this world and supremely happy with you forever in the next. And Fanny Crosby wrote, there are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea, and there are heights of joy. There are levels of joy that I may not reach until I rest in peace with thee. There is another world where our ultimate hope is. Paul says, as followers of Jesus, we are citizens of heaven. So let me ask, are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? Are you a citizen of heaven? If not, how do you become one? I want to tell you about Alex and Vanessa de Rubais. They're, they're downstairs in the fellowship hall leading Aviva Church. In 2008, Alex and Vanessa were, lived, were living in their homeland of Argentina. When they got a letter that said the Hispanic population in Huntsville is really growing, why don't you come and plant a church here? So they left with their then two daughters and they moved to the United States on a temporary visa. But then they, they worked for permanent residency. It was a rigorous kind of plan they, and an expensive plan, a lot of medical tests and vaccinations that they paid for out of their own pocket. And then after five years, they had a dream of being American citizens. And so they, they started doing all that re is required for that. Started, they took citizenship classes in our ESL, English as a Second Language. They did all the tests, the civics and, hip and history cl classes that some of them tests that some of us would have a hard time passing. They got an app for their phone that helped them study. And then they all studied and the four of them took a test and they passed and they went to Montgomery where they said 50 or 60 others from all over the world. And in Montgomery, those people from various places with, with various accents spoke with one voice and they pledged allegiance to this country. And then a few weeks later, we had our patriotic service. Some of you were there in the Life Center when uh, the, the De Base family led us in the Pledge of Allegiance as fairly new Americans. It was a wonderful thing. So how does one become a citizen of the kingdom of God? There's no medical exam. There is no test. But there is an oath. Not unlike the one that Alex and Vanessa and their two daughters took. I looked up the oath that they take, and here's how it begins. I hereby declare an oath 
that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. I turn, I renounce my loyalty to any other prince, any other sovereignty, any other nation, which to this point would have been my, would have had my allegiance, but I renounce that allegiance. And then they turn, then it turns. And it's an oath of allegiance and loyalty and appreciation and love for, for this land. The oath to become a member of the kingdom of God is much like that. I renounce the previous control over my life and, my, my, and the way that I've lived my life for other princes. And I turn by God's help and I, and I say, Kyrios Christus, that's what the early Christians used to say. Jesus is Lord. Rome had conquered so much of the world that they had various cultures and languages underneath their rule. And they needed a common denominator. They needed something that would hold them together. And so they declared that would be the worship of the emperor. So they said everybody under Rome would say Caesar is Lord. And people did, even those who had local gods, those who had local pagan gods, they would, even if, even if in a perfunctory kind of way, they would say Caesar is Lord, but not the Christians. Those pesky, courageous, stubborn Christians which said, you can't just take Jesus and put him in a pantheon of Roman gods. Kyrios Christus, they would say, Jesus is Lord, and it was costly for them. It might be costly for you. But I ask you, are you a citizen of, of the kingdom of God? You can be. Are you living a scratch life with scratch plans and scratch values? Scratch dreams? Are you living like when you breathe your last, that's it? Please know these four words as you leave. There is another world. Would you say that with me? There is another world. One more time. There is another world. And I invite you to follow Jesus. 487, excuse me, 497 is our hymn, 497. This morning, there's a beautiful thing. One of our young ladies, Olivia, was baptized and, and Miss Kristen asked her, Right before she baptized, right before she put her under, she said, who is Jesus to you? And she said, he is Lord. She didn't say it in Latin, but that's the same thing. Kyrios Christus, Christ is Lord. And I invite you to declare that, even if he already is your Lord. When you sing this, sing this uh, like he is. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then we invite you to come. We'd love to talk with you about that. If you want to be a member of our church, please come. We'd welcome you with open arms. Two people in our early service declared uh, the sense that, that God is leading them to be part of this church, and we'd welcome you too. Let's stand. Please, we'll wait on you down here while others sing.